Today, I'm joined by Verona Frankish, who is the Boss Lady CEO of the seventh largest estate agency brand in the UK, Yopa. Thank you for joining me today. Verona. Thank you for having me. Been looking forward to it. I'd like to go through, I'd like to spend the next half an hour going through your story from when you left school all the way through up to today, the ups and the downs, the trials and the tribulations. Is that okay? <laughs> well, given that I'm not a young chick anymore, that might take a while, but yeah, of course that's okay. So, I'm assuming by your accent, you were you were born on the Emerald Isle. Whereabouts? Sure I'm a Derry girl, an OG Derry girl, and the story and the TV series is very accurate. So that was set in the period of time that I grew up in the convent grammar school that I attended. So, um, so you went to the same I school. went to the school. Yeah, yeah. So, um, when you were growing up, did you have any brothers and sisters? I am the oldest of eight. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So I've always been known to be a bit bossy. <laughs> You're the big sister, aren't you? I am. What did your mum and dad do as a profession, job-wise? So my dad worked in a factory. My mum worked part-time some stages throughout her life, but was largely a stay-at-home mum. As you can imagine, with eight kids, that wasn't a, an easy task. I have a real soft spot, soft spot for Derry. Uh, I've been a number of times. Oh, have you? Yes, and um, it's a fantastic, it's a beautiful. City. I love well, it. We've got to call it Stroke City. That's yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you ever get the chance, do go, boys and girls. It yeah. is a beautiful, the beautiful most place. welcoming place in the world. Yeah. I think. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. Um, when you were growing up, um, what did you learn from your dad? My dad was a very emotional man, um, sometimes very positively. So he was very tactile. Um, he loved music. I, I grew up in a very, very musical family. And um, he wasn't the most practical of individuals. Um, he sort of, um, he liked the romance and liked the music and singing and everybody being around with a guitar and us singing together as a family. We did that a lot. Um, one of my very early boyfriends who I met from England couldn't believe that we used to turn the TV off to, to play music. Um, and that was just who we were as a family. So my love of music most definitely comes from my dad. Um, and I, I guess love of those type of um, environments and situations where we come together, we share music, we chit chat with each other. Uh, so family is a huge, huge part of my life. What about you, Mum? My mum is incredible. She's, um, I'm a, you know, her biggest supporter. I was her wingwoman, I suppose, for a long time. And whenever- I suppose having seven, yeah. seven siblings. She needed one, right? Yeah. And like I said, my dad wasn't the most practical in the world, so he wasn't necessarily a great um, He was away with the fairies. Not Correct, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, whereas, a romanticist. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And my mum was a pragmatist. She was very operationally, she was secure, she was reliable, she was always there for us. And I have so much respect for my mum. You know, I have three children of my own, so raising eight, I have, you know, salute her for what she's achieved. Uh, did any of your grandparents make an impression of you as you were growing up? Massively, yeah, massively. But I was lucky enough to have three out of the four of my grandparents up, up until my late teens. Um, and both my mum's mum and my dad's mum 
were real matriarchs in their family. Um, my dad's mum was a single parent from my dad from the age when my dad was five. Um, and she was strong and tough and funny and loving. Uh, so she made a big impression on my life. My mum's mum had 12 children. So I was one of eight. My mum was one of 12. Um, and my granny was gentle and serene and kind, but a, a, a silent matriarch for sure. Everybody respected her. Do you think your strength as a woman running a big you know, big firm has come from both grands and your mum? Without question. Um, whenever you're a leader in any sector, in any space, in any part of your life, your ability to interact with people is at the core of that. And because I've always been surrounded by a lot of different people, a lot of different personalities, um, a lot of different personality traits, then you take a little bit of everybody uh, into who you are. Some good bits, some bad bits, but also you, you very early on appreciate the things that you want to be. What are your values as a person? Um, I'm also Catholic, so I grew up in a very strong Catholic environment, um, that part of Stroke City. And, um, you know, those morals and that moral compass and those values um, are still very much a part of who I am today. And they were very much influenced by my, my grandparents and my mum. As you were growing up at the grammar school, um, did you know what you wanted to do <laughs> in work? So I, I, I did want to be a television presenter. That's what I started out wanting to be. Um, I like stories. I like connecting with people. I like telling stories, I like listening to stories. I like unpicking stories. I'm obsessed with human psychology and how people interact with each other. So I wanted to be uh, in television. And I did, uh, for a period of time, I did go through some screen tests with Ulster Television and did some work with Radio Foil, which was the local radio station. Um, but then I sort of fell into my career, really. Um, that was kind of taken, I'm really impatient, and that was taken some time as it does. You have to go through the, you know, the, the ranks. Um, and I was working as I left uh, the convent. Um, I was working part time in a fruit store and I would I had a place at university, at uh, University of Ulster. But honestly, my parents at the time um, needed me at home and couldn't really afford to send me to university. So I decided to defer my place at university for a year. And my boss at the time said, I want my to expand the business and I would love you to head that up. So I, he said, defer your place, work for a year, see what happens, and then you can go next year. Maybe your family be in a better position next year. I ended up staying there for five years. Um, we grew the business. We opened up a number of other branches. We franchised it. So I stayed there for five years. And you did that at 18 years old? 18 to 23, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, he placed a lot of trust in me. He did. Um, but... I guess I also repaid that trust. I, you know, I became an integral member of his team. And I also, I, I learned very early on that hard work always pays off. You know, I, I think I've always worked hard. I've always been 100% committed to whatever. I'm an all-in kind of gal, always. Um, and I learned that if you, com if you commit to your goal, if you work hard, um, that good things will come. Um, and in time, that evolved into a completely different career. But 
I don't disagree with you that working hard is a prerequisite, but there's plenty of fools out there that work hard that still don't get to the even the middle upper middle upper echelons, yeah. and the upper echelons. Yeah. You know, an 18 year old telling colleagues and staff what to do is must be. A, how did you learn, or did you learn it because you were the the head sister of, of the brothers <laughs> yeah. and sisters? You know how to manage is the wrong word, but. Absolutely. Whenever you're at the, I guess, the head of a, a group of siblings, um, you learn the tactics that work with people to help them. You influence them, help them to get them on your side. Uh, you lead by example, you know, so you don't ask someone to do what you're not prepared to do and you respect the individuals in your family. So they've all got something different to bring to the table. That was a really good um, grounding for me, for sure. It sounded like you had a very old head on young shoulders. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. And for the last 20 years, I've been trying to make it the other way around, right? But yes, when I was younger, I was always um, mature for my age. Do you have other siblings who are as equally old head on young shoulders? or For different reasons, yes, for different reasons. I don't think anybody has the personality that I have but you know I think that's a number of factors I'm the oldest of the family um I'm a Leo um for whatever store you hold by that um but uh, you know I have a a brother who is uh head of maths he's taught in Dubai and Singapore and England and is now back in in Ireland to raise his young family my brother is head of IT at a uh a, a in a networking company. My other sister is a, a teacher. My other sister is a head of a medical practice. Um, my sister in, who lives in Boston is a head of fundraising at a private school. You know, we've all chosen very different paths, but we've all chosen paths that are suitable to our personalities, I suppose. You then in mid nineties got a job with Marks and Spencers. I did. How did that come about? So I, decided to move to England and as a retailer of five and a bit years experience at that point, there was only one retailer in the world that I was interested in working with. Um, they had a fantastic uh, reputation. The Marks and Spencer management training program was legendary. And whilst I had five years experience, I didn't have a formal training, management training, and I recognized that I needed that. So I applied for the management training program my first job was managing the food hall in Marble Arch, which was the flagship store. I'd say it's a big brand. Yes, it is. And um, I spent three years in that store managing various different parts of it. I then went to be the deputy manager at the Kingston store, which was number two store at the time. Then I went into head office. I spent time in the internal audit team. I spent time in the women's wear group, uh, store operations, and then back out to stores as a divisional sales director looking after Scotland, Ireland and the north of England. And I also spent time in Brooks Brothers in the US. So I had 10 incredible, almost 10 incredible years at Marks and Spencer. What made you leave such a prestigious firm? It's a great question. So those 10 years, Marks and Spencer is an amazing company, brilliant brand. I'm a huge brand advocate even today, but it takes its pound of, pound of flesh and Back in those days, um, a woman in leadership positions in management, I was leaving home at 6 a.m. on a Monday and getting back at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock on a Friday night. 
I loved it, every minute of it, but I knew that that was not conducive to having children. And I'd reached a point in my life where I wanted to have children. And we just recognized that the two things would not gel. So I had to make a decision at the time to do something that was more conducive to having children. And you said we, this is yes. the time when you got married. So I got married, yes. Yeah. So my husband, I met him at Marks and Spencer. Um, and we agreed at the time that it probably wasn't a sensible decision to try and have children. And you know what, 20 years on, we're a lot more enlightened now. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that. But back then, um, M&S was a very traditional business. And whilst it was a fantastic business, there were still some quite traditional practices. Uh, so we decided that we wanted to have greater control over our future. So we set up a financial services business at the time. Um, we were both at Marks and Spencer. We both exited at the same time to set up a financial services business. Uh, so it was a mortgage business and that was called Mortgage Mentor. And that business was then bought by Mortgage Talk, which then merged with MAB. So I've spent 15 years -ish in financial services. Why did you... Neither of you had any experience in financial services. Yeah. How the hell did you set up a firm where you didn't actually know what the hell you were doing? Um, well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that, right? <laughs> a lot of people. I mean, 2005, the property market was bumbling along quite nicely. Yes. Did you just see there's an opportunity here? I will be very specific about the opportunity we saw. And at the time, Northern Rock and a number of other lenders were lending 120, up to 125% LTV for a property. And we had a real moral concern about that. So we set up a business that, and it was called Mortgage Mentor because we had a team of brokers. We also had a team of coaches. Every time we sold a mortgage that was over 100% LTV, we matched the customer with the mentor to help them manage their finances and over a period of time pay down the mortgage earlier so that they weren't exposed at some point in the future when they were in significant negative equity and couldn't you know couldn't afford their mortgages so you did that altruistically yes well we well no there was a there was a price to pay for the coach so there was a there was a, a fee um so there was some of it was altruism in terms of we identified a, a, a risk, but it was also a gap. It was also a gap in the market. Um, and we did that. I, I was coding. You know, I coded the, 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 the program for the coaches to work with. On. I, I wrote the coaching program. I coded into technology, a very basic coding. And we built a technology program that allowed some of the work to be done uh, through technology, but some was on a monthly conversation with your coach to guide you in the right direction. But it was also, you know, it was a business opportunity and it worked very, very well for a period of time. So Mortgage Mentor went to Talk Group. Correct. You, 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 they merged. You then, as I said, went with MAB, mm -hmm. uh, which again, what bought out the Talk Group, I'm assuming. So, so the Talk Group and MAB merged. So. The talk group was, a, was um, a specialist in the new home sector. So we, we had a really good footing into new homes and new homes is historically diff difficult to, to penetrate. And MEB was by far and away the biggest supplier to estate agency for mortgages. Um, so it was a classic case of two plus two equals 10. And the merging of those businesses gave a really good foundation for MEB then to IPO a few years later. Now, unfortunately you divorced from your husband 
was that just because you were spending too much time together? And... <laughs> Do you know, it's funny. I worked with my husband back then. I, I've also worked with my current husband. So actually, no, that, that's never been a problem for me. I've always been able to separate the two. Um, there's a whole number of reasons why that d didn't work. But we have two incredible children together who I'm incredibly proud of. So um, Let's do a name check on those. So Eva is my... Uh, almost 19 year old she's just completed her first year at Leeds doing sociology and she's fabulous um she's my oldest Max is 16 currently doing his GCSEs and is off to Tring uh, Performing Arts College to do his A-levels plus commercial music course in September so he wants to be a singer-songwriter, a performer, plays five instruments, sings, songwrites yeah they're, they're wonderful I'm very very blessed you then remarried a, a year later? Or a uh, couple of years later, yeah. I remarried a couple of years later to Someone else Andrew. in the game? Andrew is in the game. Yeah, so Andrew was the MD of Mortgage Talk when I was there. Um, and then when we moved to Mortgage Advice Bureau, he became the new homes director at MAB. And now actually runs, he's the CEO of the MAB Foundation, which is their charitable foundation. He's always wanted to run a charity and this gives him um, what he needs. What did you learn? You know, you were, you, you have a very small, the mortgage mentor was compared to MAB was, mm -hmm. was, was quite small. Yeah. You know, by the time that you, you left MAB in 2019, you said you'd been there 15 years, you were head of business development. Mm -hmm. Did you experience any barriers moving up the ladder? So I think throughout my career, there's been a number of different barriers. Um, and, you know, one of them is the pure nature of I have had three children in my career. So by its very nature, there have been times whenever I've had to deprioritize myself, my yes. own career, my, you know, my aspirations for my family, for my children. And because you said you got a third child. So I have a third, yes. So let's well, name check them. Then. So Lily is our 11-year-old. So she's just finishing uh, primary school. So she moves up to the college in September. Lovely. Good yeah, stuff. She's awesome. It's important we just shout everyone Absolutely. Out. Yeah, she'd be very, very annoyed. Did you, did having children, and I know we're going to go down that rabbit hole a lot more in a separate video, but yeah. did, did you putting your career on hold affect your career? Absolutely, it did. No question. Um, because... I would be probably much more advanced in my career early on if I didn't have to pause or step back or decelerate my progression to have children. Um, that's not to say I regret that because I absolutely don't, but I think it's a shame that that had to be the case. But, you know, practically speaking, I think any family situation has to make a decision. We can't be all things to all people at any given time. And I think as long as that's an agreement with your family, um, it's interesting now, my family, every decision I make about my career, before I took this job, I sat my kids down, my husband, and we said, okay, so this is on the table. What do you think? And um, <laughs> my kids call me the boss bitch. Um, and they're like, absolutely, mom, go for it. Go for it. We want you to be successful. They acknowledge that I'm a better mom because I go to work. So they encourage me and, and are proud of me. So therefore, they want me to progress. However, when you've got toddlers and when you have to do school drop off and pick up nursery runs, whenever they're not well and you have to drop everything in the middle of the day, that tends to fall to the mom. 
and I'm being very stereotypical here, but that tends to fall to the mum. And therefore mums, certainly in my experience, I haven't always been able to take the job that meant for lots of travel or being away for extended periods or being overnight because I had to prioritise my kids at certain periods in my life. Um, but that's okay because whilst I think it has slowed down my career, I don't think it's been had a detrimental effect. And part of the reason for that is I've always chosen companies and leaders who have been empathetic to the situation, who have understood that family is a big part of my life. Um, so Peter Birch at Mortgage Talk, huge, fantastic guy, family of his own, totally understood that whenever you have kids, you can still contribute significantly as a woman at work, but and you don't have to be there you know, from eight in the morning till 10 at night every day. Peter Brodnicki, a huge advocate of women in the workplace, his senior leadership team has always always had a real diversity. So I've chosen environments where that has been accepted, acknowledged, and, and um, you know, it's okay. You then went to work for Purple Bricks as yes. head of lettings, mortgages, and conveyancing. Were you poached? Well, it's an interesting one because I worked alongside... Michael and Kenny as they were developing Purple Bricks. So as a supplier, we were MAB had a, a, an appointed representative of Birchall Edwards, which was their previous business. And we've known the Bruce Brothers for a long time. So whenever they then had the idea for Purple Bricks and were working on it, I was working with them as head of business development to see how we could unlock, unleash the mortgage opportunity within a new model. And at the time, I became um, a bit of an SME in the digital mortgages, fintech, prop tech space, really. And so I was working with Purple Bricks, eMove, Easy Property, Express Estate Agency, pretty much all of the, and even Yopa back then, to work out how we could best unlock the mortgage potential in that new world. So I'd been working with them for a number of years, and I was really attracted to the the culture that they were creating, the purpose that they had from what they were trying to achieve. So I said to a, Michael... A lot of people have said that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those days were really special, yeah. really special. The, the, 14, yes. the 14 to 6, 17 years, what, 20, yeah, four, 2014 to those 2017. Those first five, five yeah. six years were really special, for sure. Everyone says that. Mm. And therefore, it, it was like a magnet, you know. I was really attracted by what they were doing. I was very involved in the business. I knew a lot of the people. And then after a few years, I said to Michael, look, you're not taking mortgages seriously. If you want to take mortgages seriously, I can't do it from the other side of the fence. You need someone internal that's going to um, lead that internally. And he said, go on then. So that was basically the conversation. You know, Michael, you know how it works. That was basically the conversation. So we agreed um, between Michael and Peter Brodnicki, I would do a secondment. So I said, I'd do a secondment for six mates, months. they are aren't they? They are friends. Yeah, of course. They're, you know, business partners, friends. Um, yeah, so they're very good friends. And we agreed a six month secondment to Purple Bricks. And Peter said, if you want to stay after six months, I'll release you from your contract because that was a benefit to MAB as well. And if you don't, you can uh, you can come back. It's up to you. So I thought that was a, you know, a, a very fair and win-win situation for me. Um, but I also kind of knew that whenever I went, I probably wouldn't come back. I'm not a go-back kind of person. So 
I did six months and after, and I went there first as a director of mortgages and oh my goodness, a lot happened in six months. So when I went there in the August of 19. Yes. Hold on, had Michael gone by now? No, Michael's still there. Yeah, but let's be honest, his focus He was, was in America. Was so it? he was in America. Lee was initially um, CEO. That's Lee Wainwright. Yes, yeah, so Lee, Lee actually um, was my boss when I joined initially. Then Lee exited. Vic was brought in as COO. Michael was in America. And then Michael exited. Vic was made UK CEO. Kenny came back from America to be sales director. Um, and then at that point, Vic asked me to take lettings and uh, conveyancing. I'll be honest, I said to Vic at the time, I'm all over learning, developing, wanting to do new things. I've done that my entire career, put myself in uncomfortable positions, as you rightly pointed out, positions I know nothing about, but I love learning. And I said, I know very little about lettings. I've never run a lettings business, but I'm happy to learn. I'm happy to get stuck in. So on that basis, we I took lettings and conveyancing. And the next 18 months, again, was a roller coaster because from in 2020, we then went into COVID. Um, and our business, we had a brilliant opportunity during COVID because we were already remote. We were already able to work through technology, through Zoom, etc. And we rose to that particular challenge. We made the entire business remote, contact center, all the central teams within a space of 10 days. You know, so we there was a lot to be proud of in terms of how we came together as a team at that point. But yeah, there was a lot of change over a short space of time. So when did you actually get made head of lettings? Oh, uh, so it would have been around the March time whenever. March of? It actually must be 2019. I must have joined in 2018. So it would have been about a year afterwards. Yeah. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room, the compliance issues that Pepper sure. Bricks had. What are your thoughts on that? So there was my understanding because i it all happened after i left so um i'm only telling a story based on my understanding of third party um, my understanding is that there was two issues um the first issue was they were moving to a uh, a new system techlet which i actually had instigated when i was there yes. because there was no technology um they were moving to techlet and there was a part of the process which was the registering of deposits which had to be during that transfer had to be a manual process and my understanding was a manual process was not implemented correctly to fill that gap which was the first issue then I understand that whilst they were auditing the deeper processes, whilst they were rectifying that particular issue, they um, unearthed a, a more historical problem in the order in which things happened within the lettings process in pre-tenancy. Um, and that order had been incorrect since the business was created back in the day. Back in 14, 15? Correct, exactly. Well, I think lettings okay. came a little bit later than the, okay. uh, than the inception of the business. So clearly that was a very detailed process, which, is, which had been running during my time, absolutely, but it wasn't something that but actually, I was ever aware of. Was there a head of compliance? There was a head of compliance. So that really should have been their responsibility. You would think, yeah. Okay, well... Thank you for saying that. I hope you don't mind that, but I don't want to be accused of, of, of... That's fine, and I don't want to be accused of sidestepping it either. No, no, but at the end of the day, you know, 
the bot you're leading the lettings firm there are people that should be sorting that out okay yeah. what were the last few months at purple bricks like yeah um by which time you've got both bruises are gone by now mm -hmm. yeah i'm going to say words i don't want to put words in your mouth okay but a lot of people said that the when the bruises left the family feel left with them mm -hmm. and it became very corporate and, and there was a lack of empathy those are my words okay, I, okay so i think i wouldn't reflect that personally um i would say there was a number of things about when the bruces were um leading the business there's no question there was a a family feel a we're in it together a real strong purpose for the business which is important to you because you know you're a good irish girl massively and, okay and of course the bruces came from yes Northern from, from Lauren. Well. yeah yes. that, well born in lancashire but grew up in yeah. Lauren. um and they they had a real sense of um we are disrupting an industry there's a real sense of there was a purpose to, a, yeah absolutely a tribe mentality great word so when they exited um I think there was an acknowledgement, even from Michael, that the business needed to move from a startup phase to a grown-up. There was an acknowledgement that needed to happen. And there had to be a, an evolution of how the business was run. Because at scale, that's the biggest challenge, right? Whenever you're running a big business, you can't run it like a small family business because it's different. There's different challenges and there's more governance that you need to put in place. So. To his credit, Vic was trying to achieve that. And some people really resonated with that and liked it. I, I thought Vic was great in the early days. And then I think what happened was there were some decisions that were being made in terms of the direction of travel for the business that a lot of people didn't buy into. And I admit I was one of those. So some of the decisions one of the big decisions was moving the self-employed workforce to an employed workforce and it wasn't necessarily this the decisions it was more about the rationale for doing that there was a view from parts of the leadership team that that would give greater control and be able to performance manage the individuals much closer and get better results I don't subscribe to that viewpoint. My view is that you get people to deliver better results by helping them understand what it is you're trying to achieve, influencing them positively and getting them on board with the path, the, not by controlling them. The classic cartoon of the leader, you've got the manager cracking the whip versus yeah. the leader saying, come on, guys. Absolutely. Me. It's winning hearts and minds. You have to do that. And that's what, in the early days, they absolutely had. They had the hearts and minds. And do you think, do you think because the, the juxtaposition of basically being probably the most awesome firm when the Bruce is there in 18 and 19 and then almost going completely the other way? Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. That was a challenge. For How did that make you feel that this firm that you've fallen in love with had almost lost its way. Oh, it definitely had it way, lost its way. And the second reason it lost its way was because the other decision that the business was moving to was to be a tech-led business. And not as far as commoditizing people, but it felt that way. And therefore, I totally just can't get on board with that. Um, estate agency at its core is a people business. And unless you have people engaged, people by people, mm -hmm. then you 
are not able to deliver the level of service that people invest in their property. So I was always surprised with the bricks that, that you've got all these local property experts that they didn't almost put them on a pedestal around the country. That, I, I thought that was a missed opportunity. That's one for you at Yopa. Um, <laughs> so did you leave of your own accord from Purple Bricks? It was a mutual decision. It was a mutual decision because my very nature means that I'm, I don't keep quiet if there's something I don't align to. Did you feel a failure? Did I feel a failure? No, I don't think I did. I'll, I'll be honest and say that for three to four days after I left, it felt a bit, I felt deflated and I felt okay. And I looked at myself and looked at about how I could have done things differently. But I do that anyway. That's a natural thing that I do. I'm always thinking about how, would I, how could I have handled that differently. And after three or four days, I, 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 I came to terms with it myself. And I knew that actually I'd given it a lot. I'd given my heart and soul as I would to anything. And it was probably the, the juncture where that business was at that time it was not the right place for me. And that's, you know, proven to be correct, actually. In hindsight. In hindsight, absolutely. But did you have any regret that you went to Purple Brooks when in essence you could have been on the... No, no, absolutely did not. Did you have any at the time? No, because I also acknowledged I learned so much over that okay. period. I learned a lot. I worked with some amazing people. You know, that's the thing. At the time, though, I, yeah, I know we no. can all reflect. Because, again, a lot of... I, I have a saying that I've nicked off uh, Tom Panos. Sometimes the best presents come worse wrapped. Yes. Sometimes you have to... Yeah. You don't realise it at the time. Yeah. Where does that inner positivity or... I know I hate the word positivity. Optimism come from? Mm. Does it come from your parents? I definitely... from your dad? I'm not sure. I don't know, actually, but I definitely have a, a, an optimism bias. No question. And I'm so grateful for that, Chris. I really am grateful for it. But what I've also learned over time, I do all the work on me. I do a lot of work on me. I listen to podcasts. I read a lot of books. I, I have learned over time that actually training your brain and your thought process will help you determine how you feel and therefore how you act. So if I focus on getting my mindset right and putting into context decisions, perspective. Um, you know, my husband had a heart attack at 39. My brother died at 30. Those are the things that actually I'm going to get upset about. And, it, you know, it, this, is, this is work. It's a career, yeah, and I care a huge amount about it. But what's the worst that can happen? You know, what's the worst that can happen? And I definitely have a, a bias for optimism, and that has stood me in good stead. In February 22, you became the boss of Yopa. Yes. Did they come to you or did you? They go? did, yeah. So if I cycle back a little bit, I exited from Purple Bricks in April of 21. And um, I decided to have summer off with my kids for the first time ever in 30 odd years. And, and it was fab. I loved it. And I bet they went. They couldn't wait to get you back to work, though. Well, no, they loved it, but I couldn't wait. <laughs> By September, I was literally itching to get back into something. My brain, it was funny. My brain was, um, I could feel it losing its capability. Um, so I decided to do some consulting because I, I, I didn't want to rush. I didn't want to rush. And I had many, many conversations with lots of fantastic businesses, people who came to me. Um, 
but I didn't want to rush into something. And I decided just to consult for a period of time. So I did some work with um, a fintech business. I became a, a board advisor to a couple of businesses, which I still advise on today. And um, I decided just to wait until the right opportunity came along. And just before Christmas, uh, Yopa came to me and uh, my immediate response in my own head was, I don't want to be a CEO. I'd never wanted to be a CEO, wasn't really in part of my plan. Um, and my second thought was, I don't want to go head to head publicly with my ex-employer. It didn't feel right to me. However, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go along for the, the journey, see what happens. I'll probably learn something from the experience and we'll see what happens. The deeper I got into the conversations, the more I got to know the board, the shareholders, had several conversations with Grenville Turner, who's our chairman and he needs no introduction in the estate agency world. And the more I talked to the people, the more due diligence I did about the culture and the business. And of course, given the nature of the business, I know a lot of people at Yopa who used to be at Purple Bricks that I worked with there. So I, you know, I did a lot of due diligence and I got a really good feel for the business and, and all of that changed my mind. So um, when they offered me the job in sort of end of January, I was delighted to, to accept it. So I started in February last year and oh God, it's gone in the blink of an eye. What's the future for you? For me or for Yopa? For you. For me. So I've committed myself to this role. Um, I, this is not a CV move or a career path step. This is, I want to help this business unlock its potential. And I want to help the people who've given so much of themselves to this business over quite a turbulent six or seven years to be successful and be sustainably successful. If you don't mind me saying, Yopa's always been the, the bridesmaid, never the bride. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? I think there's so many reasons. So Yopa was one of the original disruptors back in the day. It, there's no question they followed in Purple Bricks' footsteps. Um, but they had founders that didn't understand the sector. They had leaders that didn't understand the sector. So it took a long time for them to get the traction. You know, And if I look back at the investment from our shareholders over the last seven or eight years, significant investment in marketing, similar to Purple Bricks, not as much as Purple Bricks, to be fair. Um, but execution of that marketing was just per, you know, you've got to give Michael credit to the work that he did on marketing and the team that they had in marketing, their delivery of marketing to create 93% brand awareness in any brand um, is incredible. So Yopa just didn't follow that path and that, and therefore they weren't as successful and didn't have the, the traction to deliver. Then whenever they started to get traction, it was, it, it was difficult to attract agents because Purple Bricks got the best agents and Yopa seemed like a second choice for a long time. There's definitely been, we've seen a shift in the last 18 months. Um, we've attracted much better quality agents now, but in fairness, we have a number of long serving franchise owners today that are su really successful businesses. You know, parts of the country, they've got 25, 35% market share in their, in their locale. So we've got, uh, um, I, I guess we're behind the curve in Purple Bricks and we've never bet the farm. That's what I would say. We've never taken big bets and we've always sort of worked on a, on a marginal gains. And therefore, I think for all of those reasons, we've not had 
necessarily the same success as Purple Bricks or Stripe for that reason. Let's get you back on the sofa in five years' time to see how you're getting on. We'll do some separate videos about um, the other firms you've mentioned and where Yopa stands and why people should, agents should potentially join Yopa and some other interesting topics, including boys and girls. Um, why estate agents aren't very good at collaborating, the, the future of self-employed estate agency, and uh, why are there so few women in senior roles in estate agency. So uh, they'll be coming out on my YouTube channel as and when. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. It's been great.